One shot at a time. Welcome back to the Enjoy the Walk podcast, guys. I already feel the gloves coming off on this one, and we're just going to hop right into it. As many of you may have heard, the USGA came out with their uh, USGA and RNA came out with their Distance Insights project right up for 2020. They came out with that on Tuesday, February 4th, and a headlining quote that was taken from both finding parties is that distance is a detrimental part of golf's future and is playing a detrimental part in the progress in the game. Guys, it's time to weigh in. Gloves off. Let's go. What are your thoughts? Yeah, detrimental part to the 99 percent are going to see negative benefits if this goes through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I feel the same way. Right off the bat, Isaiah, let's get your opinion on it. As you're chasing professional golf and in the ranks of seeing those guys in the Corn Ferry Tour this year, I mean, you know, we've talked about it from our perspective of there's less than 1% truly hitting the ball far enough for these courses to be at the 7,500 plus level. And I mean, you saw it in your experiences this summer. I'd like you to touch on it. What, what do you see distance wise out there in these Corn Ferry Tour qualifying events? Look, I mean, you do see the anomalies on tour like Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka. And even Rory McIlroy, as short as he is from a stature standpoint, there's very few guys that are actually hitting the ball the numbers that the PGA Tour is claiming that they hit them. And if they are hitting it that far, you know, 330s, 340s, it's due to, you know, say the loft of their driver or the shaft that's in it or the way that they're hitting the ball, a little more draw or a little more fade, whatever suits their spin rate numbers. But the fairways, keep in mind, are typically very firm. And there's a premium placed on being able to hit it accurately. Once you hit it into the fairway, you're going to get 30 to 50 yards a roll, depending on how high you hit it. Um, but even with the corn fairy tour, I mean, there's guys um, typically hitting it anywhere from 275 to, you know, 320 yards. I mean, in one of the events I played, I was at, I averaged uh, 337 for the week. So I was poking it a long way, but no means is that carry yardage. Well, so, now where was that tour event at, though? Because altitude and people forget that, like, a lot of these tour events are at higher altitude as well. So these balls are going to carry 30, 40 plus mm-hmm. yards farther than normal. So where was that event at that you were averaging 337? It was, uh, it was actually up in New York. Now, mind you, they didn't have a track man set up on every hole. So they took stats off of maybe two or three holes. So for that day, if a guy got there and it was a little bit downwind and say it was a little right to left, a righty might get up on that hole and hit a nice high draw like Michael DeMorad does. And they'll send that ball well over 350 yards with how firm it is. But we did have a couple days of rain where the fairway softened up and the course did play harder and it was no more than 7,300 yards. So uh, with that being said, I mean, we were only playing it I think 850 feet of elevation on top of the mountain, which isn't much, but it's, you know, one and a half, 2% increase in distance. So you're seeing anywhere from five to 10 extra yards off the tee. And then, you know, three to five with your irons, maybe. So it's not that big of a jump, but what you see out there, the guys hitting it so far, they're just using their bodies. It's not so much the technology, it's their bodies. Yeah. I mean, I want to, I want to take some time to look at the top driving distance, um, chart here from the PGA tour. Now this is updated as of last week for all of 2019. Your, 
your driving leaders, there was only 55 guys on the PGA Tour that averaged over 300 yards for an entire season. Now, right there off the bat, you're talking about the 1% of the 1%. These guys on tour are already the 1% that makes up everyone who plays golf, whether it's recreationally, for professionals. But for 2019, you're a leader at 317, so only 3 117 yards. People talk about these guys hitting monstrous four, like close to 400 yard drives. It's just not happening consistently on the tour. It's not. Cameron Champ led at 317. And then obviously we talk about a notorious bomber. He's hit the ball long since he was five years old. Rory McIlroy sitting there at number yeah. two. I mean, he's five foot eight, but the guy is a gym rat. And I think that's something else we want to get into is these guys that are out there now are just downright athletes hell brooks kepka in 2019 sitting at 10 i mean mm. there's, there's 10 guys above him i mean you look at the the likes of bubba watson and wyndham clark both really really tall lanky guys luke list big hitter from um uh, from down south and then you're looking at dustin johnson at four i mean mm. your top 10 are the notorious guys out there that are bombing it but yeah. they're not i mean yes brooks kepka went on a run and and did some damage in the majors but how many times was he winning a typical tour event that he entered? He was contending, but he wasn't blowing people yeah. away enough to a point <laughs> to say, all right, this distance is really a problem. None of these guys right. in the top 10 were. These, these guys in the top 10 of distance weren't just racking up tour wins because they could blast it by everybody else. Yeah. And, I, and I think that's something that the USGA just either didn't look at or didn't think about when they made the comments that distance is detrimental to the game. Mm. Dante, what do you think? And going back, <laughs> I mean, just going back, if the guys that are averaging over 300 yards, they should be winning every tournament if it's, if it's that much of an advantage. Yet, who just won the Phoenix Open? He's not the longest hitter. You know, I mean, just look at that. I mean, and they 160th an, on distance. And they were in a higher altitude, ball flies further. State, mm -hmm. Arizona, the ball flies much further. I mean, we even play with the guy when we were down in Florida who's from Utah and says, wow, the ball is not traveling as far as mm -hmm. I'm used to. I mean, what's yeah. that just say? These guys are in the gym. They are training. They are athletes. This game is not a, it's not a leisure game anymore. It's a sport. These guys are putting blood, sweat, and tears into their training. They are doing data analysis of every little possible part of their body to figure out what am I going to focus on in the gym that's going to generate more speed in my swing. I think yeah, a, perfect, football, a perfect example of that is Bryson DeChambeau this year. Dante, you brought it up uh, earlier. He didn't, yeah. hit, he didn't hit the ball as far as he wanted to last year. What did he do? Spent the entire winter bulking up 20-plus pounds. Now he hits the ball 30 yards farther. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to go dominate, but he got in the gym, got it done. This is a sport now. This is there are pure athletes pay, playing the game in this decade. Yeah, and yeah, he bulked up. Granted, I mean, I don't think you need to really bulk up, but what he did, I mean, he knows he is so fine tuned into his body and what he needs to do to get done. He's so down to the minute number. He's out there and he's grinding to figure out what he needs to do to generate that speed. And I even saw an article earlier or someone posted something earlier today. I think he's, they said he averaged 302 mm -hmm. off the tee last year. And he said, I need to get longer. How do I get longer? Or what did he do to get longer? He went to the gym. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, plain and simple. Look at Scott Stallings. This guy, you can watch art, you can watch videos, you can read articles on him. He told he told the viewers that at one point he was almost at his lowest point with his health. He was doctors are telling him you better do something in order to get fit or turn yourself around because you're in a bad place right now. You know what he did? He turned his diet around. He started going to the gym. He lost all this weight. The guy's a machine. I bet you he's averaging way more speed. Now the guy hits the ball a mile. So you're going to tell me that a ball is the deciding factor on distance. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, The technology is not the problem. And Dante to go to, to piggyback off of your Scott Stallings. Perfect example. I'm looking at a, I'm looking at a a piece here put out by the PGA tour back in May of 20, 2019. They put out a picture. Scott Stallings was 240 pounds. He was 28% Mm. body fat. Now he dropped 55 pounds. He's down to 16% body fat and said he picked up over 13, miles per hour club head speed mm. just in the weight loss drop alone numbers wise, are working their ass off <laughs> i mean it's yeah. just it's hilarious to think that i mean i granted the usga and the rna has done their due diligence and i'm not going to shade them on that they've looked at numbers over the past 100 years of the sport as a whole and they've taken into consideration everything or at least they thought they did. I don't think they've truly considered everything, I, but I don't, that's, I that's don't a conversation for maybe 10 minutes from now. But what I want to get into is, is some comparisons in other sports over the past 100 years and what they've done to transform and how people are actually taking those sports and pushing them forward because of these transformations. You look at the 100-meter dash. What was it 100 years ago? People weren't breaking the 10-second mark in the 100-meter dash. Now you look at the likes of Usain Bolt and you know, your world record back in 1912 was 10.6 10.6 for the hundred meter dash. Now you have guys like Usain Bolt running it in nine, five. I mean, that's almost a full second off of a hundred meter dash. And it's just credit to not only the technology that's being put in these guys, but just the hard work of these athletes, some athletes that may have never thought about getting into the sport like golf and that are now choosing maybe baseball or basketball or other, you know, higher profile sports and getting into the game of golf. It just, it speaks to just every sport is progressing. I don't know why the, the talking heads of golf refuse to let that keep moving forward like every other sport is out there. And I think that's what's holding golf back a little bit from becoming a true worldwide sport is just these governing bodies keep kind of pulling us back from really letting the game expand. I mean, everything's just the typical saying, bigger, stronger, faster. Mm. I mean, people are diving into analytics. Look at the NFL. Look at the way, you know, these teams are analyzing their players and who are they going to, you know, and how the game's changing. And they're not going back and saying, well, it used to be this and it used to be that. It's, all right, things are changing. How are we going to adapt and how are we going to succeed in the future to set up growth, better players, better teams, better, you name it, to find a success in their in their sport i mean i can go back to to lacrosse back in the high school and even the college days and even the way it's now it's such a fast it's a totally different game than what i played because Mm -hmm. things were changing people were getting faster the rules were changing and they adapted to that 
why why does it have to be a halt on golf? Why does it always have to be to the fact, well, you know, we want to keep the game how it was intended to be. The game's still intended to be in what it's the minute that the the minute that conversation stopped for me, looking back on golf technology, is when we switched from wooden heads to steel driving heads. If the USGA truly wanted this game to be what it was and to, to be authentic, it stops there. You keep it at wooden heads and you call it a day. But no. Might as well go back to Hickory's uh, shafts. Correct. Too. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. So when the, the day they made the decision to let the technology of, what, late 90s, early 2000s progress into steel heads from the Hickory shafts and from whatever it may be, mm-hmm. they lost all conversation of this distance is detrimental. They, they lost all credibility yeah. at that point because from, from that point on, you just, you adapt, you move forward and you push through. Personally, this is just a growing pain of a sport. You know, you, you, you challenge yourself to figure out better ways to either design a course or manicure a course so that you challenge these players a little bit more. You, you look at, I don't know, maybe drawing back the ball a little bit, but I think that's as far as it goes. I mean, let's be honest. How much has irons really changed over the last 10 years? Just the lofts. Your, your yeah. blade irons are your blade irons. Your forged irons are your forged irons. They're making them – your seven iron is now probably a stock six, what it was five, ten years mm-hmm. ago, just to make it look like it's flying farther. But that technology is about to its limit. I think the, the yeah. true technology and what they're complaining about distance wise is just the driver. I, I think that's all they're getting at. I, I can't see, and maybe you guys can, I can't see where else they're complaining about this distance being such a problem. I don't know. I mean, there's a very, very popular golf course out of Florida. Uh, it's called Sawgrass country club. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you haven't, but it's directly across the street from TPC where we all know the players is hosted each and every year. Well, I was speaking with a rules official, a USGA official from, I'd say he was around back in the, you know, the sixties, the seventies when golf was really starting to take off in the U S and he said he very distinctly remembered two players stepping up on hole number five out there, which is a, it's a dog leg, right? Par four that's been lengthened to about 450 ish yards roughly. But Back in the day, there was a forced carry of 210 yards to get from T-Box over this pond that was right out in front um, right before the fairway started to, you know, turn off to the right following the dog leg. Well, only two players could get it over that water if that hole played into the wind. Those players were Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer. They were flying it by 40 yards, playing with wooden heads, a lot of balls, they were the only two that were able to get it over that water. And why was that? Is because they were swinging differently than everybody else. They had a different gear and they could access it. It was their bodies. It wasn't the technology. Everybody was playing with nerfed golf balls and nerfed drivers and, you know, aluminum shafts, whatever it was at the time. So it's, it's not an issue of the distance. It's, it's the players. Jack and Arnie were machines back in the day. They were in better shape than everybody else. They were stronger than everybody else. It's, it funny, you, it's, it's funny you bring up the Golden Bear because it seems like Jack has been a serious advocate of this drawback 
of technology. Since the USGA really made it a point to make this the headline news that they come out with every year for, I think, for the best, what, five or six years, they've been coming out with distance reports and teasing this kind of 100-year grand you know, report that they just came out with uh, yesterday. And I, I think it's, uh, it's hilarious that out of all people, the leading di- driving distance man during his entire era, Jack Nicholas, is the one that's begging for distance to be pulled back. I find that mm. insanely ironic. Yeah. And another thing we see too, just to touch base on purse sizes. I mean, you look at how much a PGA Tour pro was getting paid back in the day. They're playing with wooden heads, a lot of balls, and, and there was absolutely nothing wrong with that. But the average PGA Tour pro back then didn't get paid very much at all. And then you see aluminum shafts come in. You see more forged heads and square grooves and a transition to circle grooves, you know, three and five layer balls up to the, you know, the tailor-made sim drivers and TS3s and twos and whatevers that we have now. And the purse sizes back then were five, six thousand dollars. You can make that on a mini tour today to a purse size of, you know, one point three million dollars. And a lot of that is due to Tiger stepping onto the scene, being an athlete, absolutely tearing golf courses apart. And not because he was playing with a different club than anyone else. He was just hitting it so much better than anybody else could imagine. There's a skill gap there. There was a defining sound when tiger made contact with the ball you can look up any of his videos when he first came out on tour in the late 90s right Mm -hmm. you know right before he won his first masters and i think you know we just had the waste management open last week you look at some of his you know sounds and you know videos from that tournament even i think that was in 98 maybe 99 Mm -hmm. a little bit it was during that tiger mania time his striking of the golf ball just makes and still makes but even it was more distinguished back in that day made a much more distinguished crushed sound when he made Mm. contact with the ball better than most of his if not all of his peers at the time Mm. and i and i think it just goes back to like you said being an athlete and and that's why we have what we have in the golf game today because of tiger woods yeah i'm not one to i'm not one to hop on too many people saying they single-handedly change the sport but I'm telling you, he was a very, very lone ranger in changing the sport of golf. And is why you'll, we have have a, you'll even have more non-golf critics, sports analysts, that will say Tiger Woods changed the game, mm-hmm. and which he did. I mean, he brought the money into it. He crushed the ball. Do you want to go to – my friend said it pretty, pretty perfectly one time when this debate came out last year. We were sitting at the bar outside after our round. He goes – why do I want to go watch a tournament and watch some guy hit it 250? I want to watch these guys bomb the ball. He goes, that's what, because I can go out and hit it 250, no problem. Why do I want to see myself play out there? Mm. I want to go see these elite guys do something that I can't do. And that's kind of, I mean, that's a good view look at it too. But again, I mean, these guys, again, you know, you, you know, we have, you know, we have our day jobs, we have whatever. These guys are going out, they are working. 12 hours a day, 12, 15 hours a day, and they're just grinding. They're in the gym. They're working out. They're, they're, uh, playing, they're playing golf just on repeat, sun up to sun down. Mm-hmm. You're going to tell me that you alter the ball, that they're going to change something? Well, you yeah. want to talk about altering a ball in a sport for the reason of distance? Look at the major leagues. They alter the ball mm-hmm. for it to go farther. <laughs> Yeah, runs uh-huh. sell. The long ball sells. 
I mean, mm. if, if you have to look at another organization of how to do things and see sales skyrocket when balls go further, mm. there's no better case than the Major League Baseball. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yep. the long ball sells. People sit in their seats. People come to golf tournaments to watch a ball fly very far, plain mm. and simple. At the end of the day, and I mean, we'll get into this here you know, in a bit, but the PGA Tour sells an experience. They sell much mm. more than just rounds of golf. It's a show. It is a show. It is mm. a business. The long ball is a very, very key part of that business. And I mm. think if you look at it, pulling it back would actually be detrimental if you have to use that mm. word to the game of golf rather than distance being the detrimental part of this conversation. Mm. I think it also speaks for itself. You know, we discussed this earlier. And I know that we discussed this off camera, but let's go with infrastructure. Mm. What have they done to courses? If you want to dial things back, I mean, look at these tour players. I mean, they they go to Hawaii, they go to they go to Mexico, they go mm. to Arizona. I mean, they're hitting balls on concrete rock. Mm. I mean the. The top tracer, you have guys hitting. You'll watch it, too. And the PJ does it. That pisses me off, too. The long ball hitters, I'll just call them out right now. Jackasses. (laughs) It pisses me off because what you'll see, what you'll see is someone will hit, some no-name will hit a shot, right? He'll hit it. I don't know. Top tracer does carry distance. Next time you're watching the PGA event on Golf Channel or whatever, and they bring up the top tracer, watch closely. You'll see John Smith hit the ball, right? 287 carry. Hits, rolls out. It'll stop. That number will stop on the carry distance, 287. You get DJ, he'll hit it. It'll carry maybe three, say like 305, 310, and then it'll roll out. That number on that screen is still going, and then it shows he hit it 350. I mean, these guys are hitting hitting shots into – into concrete and the ball's rolling out 50 60 maybe even 70 yards so you're gonna tell me that the ball's a problem get out of here why don't you fix the courses first and then why don't you soften up the fairways grow the rough a little bit why don't you tighten it up okay all they they don't even think the usga and the rna are not thinking outside the box they're like well you know what we got to move it back no you don't keep it the way it is Hmm. all right if the guy's carrying it maybe 300 310 and there's a bunker sitting 260 270 why don't you move that bunker forward a little bit yeah mm-hmm. i mean it's a it's the same thing with the, it's, it's all about <laughs> setup it's all, it's all about setup and i've and i've played in qualifiers and isaiah's gotten very close to u.s open qualifying himself and it's all about setup and the usga just seems to get it wrong all the time they just they try too much with the game they try to be too fancy they try to do way too much with the game instead of just thinking like you just said hey let's make that let's make that bunker actually come into play for 90 percent of the field rather than Mm -hmm. rather than just being there and everyone flying this bunker you have a bunker at 250 260 no one cares about that bunker you put that bunker at 285 to like 300 suddenly every pga tour gives a shit about that bunker and it becomes, yeah. huh, you got- do I maybe hit three woods short and then challenge myself with a long iron coming in? Or do I try and sack up, try and hit it over, and if I don't, then I'm really screwed. Then I'm definitely making bogey. And, it's like it's and correct poor setup, and they always get it wrong. <laughs> and think of, think of this. Lo, correct me if I'm wrong here, but 
So you get, say you got a bomber, right? Who hits it that distance. You move that, you move, you move that bunker up. You, you, now you shorten that. Plus they're playing rough. That's maybe just not even that, that deep mm. either. I mean, these guys are getting spin out of the rough and whatnot, yeah. but you move that bunker forward a few yards to where that, la- that landing error for that, uh, that long hitter, right? Now he's got to think if he dials it back a little bit and then a shorter hitter is like, ah, don't bother me. I'm just going to bomb driver out there. Looks like they're probably going to be playing from the same spot into the green. And what do every, I'm pretty much every teaching professional that I've talked to, or even every golfer always tells me always about a hundred yards and in always about the scoring clubs. Mm -hmm. Dial back the ball, dial back the clubs. Yeah. Get Mm -hmm. out of here. And here's my text got to stay and it's got to keep going. It brings people in. Yeah, and I mean, there's, there's, there's been a lot of, and I've seen on social media too, there's been a lot of golf purists that are out there that are saying, oh, bring back more spin to the ball or bring back the old ball that you could work it more. And I'm like, granted, I'm a Tiger fan to the day I die. And I think if you bring back a more spinny, more, you know, ball that flies, you can control it more of a draw or more of a slice. I think Tiger wins seven more majors before he's 45. Tiger dominated that era of golf. And I don't, I don't want to see that because the game has come so far and the ball is such a high-tech piece of the golf game that I just don't want to see it. And I don't get it. Do you, do you want the ball to go shorter to keep like old records intact? Is that the point of these old heads is to keep old records and old scoring records intact? Like I, I'm not even sure where they're coming from. It's saying that distance is such a detrimental part. The only part that I can see where they're maybe coming from is on the golf infrastructure side of things like we talked of, of them having to use these courses that are, or they think they have to use these courses that are 7,500 yards plus. We just had it this year at the PGA. They played the, they played Beth page at 7490 or something like that. And Mm -hmm. every single tour pro, even the long guys were saying it was just too long for the game. It was in, it was insanely long and it was just no fun to play. Now, granted, I like seeing a good test of golf. But if Brooks Kepka doesn't get hot down that down the third round, I think it was he shot sixty three. You're looking at an yeah. event that no one breaks like three under. Yeah, that's an that's a good test of golf. But I still think that course could have held up just as strongly, if not stronger, at like seven thousand. I think they could have taken yeah. five hundred yards off that course easy and not batted an eye. Yeah, I mean, look at uh, par three lengths. You know, when you start stretching out courses to have those 220, 230 par threes, you've completely changed, you know, a a fraction of the course right there. But even this past summer, I had the opportunity to play a course up near uh, Paoli, PA, which is Waynesboro Country Club. And I kid you not, every par four had a bunker from the range of 260 to about 315. And I played with another guy in a practice round. He was a bomber. He was hitting it 20 past me. And he was so mad about the course setup saying, this is stupid. Every par four, there is a bunker from 260 to 315. I have nowhere to hit the ball. I hit the driver. I hit it so well. It's such a strong suit. But if I miss the fairway, I'm screwed. And instead of looking at it and saying, okay, ding, 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 we have a winner. Yeah, if you miss the fairway, <laughs> screwed. Welcome to the game of golf and how it actually was designed to be played. You look at all these Mm -hmm. courses like St. Andrews and Carnoustie and you miss the fairway there, you're penalized. And that's Mm -hmm. what you're supposed – that doesn't happen in American golf. 
Mm. And it needs to get back to that. And I think the whole resort course boom of like the late nineties, early two thousands really sucked for golf course architecture when it comes mm. to actually challenging you because it was made for the high handicapper to enjoy the round of golf. And now you're starting to see PGA tour events go to these like courses that are just not meant to be PGA tour stops, but they're good mm. for infrastructure because they can build mini cities around these courses and, and make them happen and get people in and out. So it's good for money, but. And the, and these courses, think about it. How many courses have really changed from year to year every year on you know, the aspect of where they're playing at. From my understanding, it looks like a lot of these courses, and it goes back to what you're saying, Dalton, it's a business. Mm. They're putting these courses, right? They're putting these events at these courses that are big, mm. open, flat, not, not tight, not hilly or anything. Why? Ticket sales. It brings in so many people and they can just pack so many customers, so many patrons, whatever the hell you want to call them into that because it's just going to drive sales. It's going to drive beer sales. It's going to drive revenue. It's going to drive everything up to make money. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, that's what they're really about. They're they're about to make money. Mm -hmm. So you dial back the ball. They're just going to have to revamp everything and every company is just going to have to restart and start all over and just lose everything that they just made. Well, that's what I, I think. And, and, you know, the PGA tour kind of weighed in on this. And I think you're not going to see, even if the USGA does come down with these kind of harsh ramifications on technology and it, it might only affect the U S open or the U S amateur or something like that. And it could be detrimental for just the USGA because you look at the way the U S I mean, the PGA kind of responded to this report and, and they were not on board at all. You know, um, these guys were saying pretty much that like, Hey, listen, the USGA, yeah, they came out with this report, but um, this report isn't, about recreational golfers and recreational golfers make up a high, high majority of golf sales. And I think that's so true. And I want to get into that a little bit of just like how far your recreational golfers hitting it and how, like if we really had a technical technological drawback, how it would really hurt your recreational golfer. So this was a study done by golf.com looks like somewhere around early this year, I think February to kind of coincide with this, uh, this distance review. Take a guess. How long do you think your average single handicap golfer averages off the tee? They're barely sniffing 250. Yeah, as I was going to say, probably 247. 239 is your average oh. of single handicap golfers off the tee. Now, this is just for men. This is just for men off the tee. Single handicap golfers averaging 239. Mm-hmm. Take it into the double digits. Your, your, your 10 to 20 handicap, right around 220 to 200, somewhere around there. There's a lot of courses out there that you can't find the fairway if you're not carrying it just over 200 yards mm. from most Worth- men's tees. Worthington Manor, hole one. I mean, you can't get it playing. over. No, you can't. And, I mean, it just kind of <laughs> speaks to, I think, the absurdity of the USGA and it's a little asinine even I think to kind of say that distance is a problem when you're when you're not taking into account a majority of your golf 
you know, input and your sales and what really drives the industry. Yeah, the PGA Tour is a great spectacle, but it doesn't drive the golf industry. The PGA Tour could be over tomorrow and people are still going to go out on, you know, their Thursday men's leagues or their Saturday morning skins match or whatever it may mm. be. People are still going to go out and golf at the PGA Tour and the USGA aren't around. Like, I'm not worried about my next round of golf if the USGA just decides to, you know, deband and, and call it quits for the year. I, I'm not worried about the USGA being a governing body over me playing around the golf. That'd right? be nice. Just let get out of here. Just too many, <laughs> I swear to God. But, the, but the, it just seems everything that they want to change affects the recreational golfer yet they want to change the professional game they want to mm-hmm. roll back the ball they came out with they came out with the stupid leave the mm, leave the pin in no offense to our brothers over at leave the pin podcast but uh yeah we're, we're yeah. not fans of leave the pin uh so but the, the whole aspect of it and even the rules and the hazards and taking majority of OB based on local rules and all this and like you name it, all those significant rules that they switched into this last past year to speed up the game. PGA Tour players are still complaining how slow it is out there. Mm. So you're going to tell me that leaving the pin in, they have the opportunity to leave the pin in is going to speed them up? Get out of here. They're mm. still – they're still complaining about certain pro players taking too long on the golf course. Mm-hmm. Well, so you're going to tell me a rollback's going to change something? No, it's going to affect your everyday members going out on the weekend rounds, social rounds, playing a skins game, playing a buddies match. That's who it's affecting, yet you want to try and change the professional game. Not happening. Not at all. I agree. And you want to talk about USGA just missing the mark on every ruling they kind of put out there. Let's talk about the anchoring ban for a second and how the USGA just muddied that one up real quick. There's still guys on tour till this day that are hovering. Please give me a break. Hovering these, you know, belly putters or anchoring on their forearms. Yeah. I mean, arm locks. Okay. Yeah. Arm yeah. locks. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, your arm anchors. Okay. But your chest and your belly anchors. Not okay. Riddle me that USGA. Like, mm. come on. I mean, and then, and then to say that like, you know, every other governing body, when you look at, look out there and you talk about like the winners of your Latin America or your, your Southern America, or even your Asian amateur events, every mm. other event, the masters, the British open gives these players full exemptions. What does the USGA give them? Sectional qualifying. Okay. Goose eggs. Great. You just won an entire continent's amateur, and we're just going to give you another 36 holes of grueling one-day golf to let you try and get into our championship. They missed the mark on every big ruling that they come out with, and it's just super frustrating. And, and, and I think Phil Mickelson actually came out today and riddled it perfect of why the USGA seems to miss their mark on everything. He said, we're the, we're the only professional sport in the world that's governed by a group of amateurs that don't play more than eight times a year. Hey, that's a really good point right there. Why should, why should the professional athletes, the ones that are out there doing it for a living – allow those that won't ultimately be affected by the decision to make the decisions. Yeah. I mean, it just, it, it's they're big, mad. They're not hitting it like Dustin Johnson. That's why <laughs> mm-hmm. get your ass into the gym, start <laughs> stretching, 
How about you get, how about maybe you switch from maybe that 65, 70 gram stiff or extra stiff shaft that you can't swing and maybe go mm. down the more regular. I don't know. Figure it out. Go talk to Andrew Milnarski. Go get fit. He'll, exactly. figure, it <laughs> He'll yeah. figure it out for you. <laughs> boy, Andrew Milnarski over at Callaway Golf. We talked about it earlier in one of our podcasts, and, and it, it, but it does. It rings true. Like, go get fit. Get some specs that fit your body, and maybe you'll start seeing more distance or just get in the gym and get a little more athletic. I mean, I think that's the conversation at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But it's like going back to the governing body thing, it's like you're seeing more and more pros in different kind of organizations get involved in their own rules whether you're seeing the nfl pa you know the players association get seriously interactive with what their rules look like and how their rules are changing and how their benefits chalk up and i know the pga has a little kind of behind the scenes um players association you could call it i guess but there there's no real player say i feel like when when these big rules are being made and maybe they pull these guys once a year and say, Hey, you know, what if we change this and maybe they get their opinions on it, but I don't see true interaction going on. There's no like, mm-hmm. you know, I hate to bring like a political term into it, but there's no bipartisanship. There's no like, Hey, what do you guys as players think if we actually change this rule? You know, mm-hmm. the, kind of, the only time you ever see that interaction is when the media asks these players the questions and that never gets us anywhere. That, and also stop polling the, the 1%. I feel like there's this divide between amateur golf, you know, the, the regular weekend hack and the professional golfers. It's just a, an industry and a scene that's pretty much cut off from the rest of the world. It's governed by amateurs that don't necessarily interact with the PGA tour players. And when a PGA tour player like Justin Thomas or Ricky Fowler complains about something and calls it out, they immediately get chewed for it. And made out to be the absolute worst thing that has ever happened to the game of golf, which is completely unfair. So I think we should start seeing more polls from the USGA directed towards the 99% of golf and even send something out to mini tour players or corn Ferry or PGA and release those stats to the public. See what the players themselves actually Here, think. Here's a great idea, USGA. Yes, you can even take it from us. I'll let you have this one. Make it like a census. When I get my USGA little membership card in the, in the mail every mm. year for being a nice donating member of the USGA, send me a nice little census, little poll just to fill out, you know, Scantron test, whatever you have it may be. Let me answer some questions on what I think you're going to change in the game of golf. Leave mm-hmm. me a note section. Maybe get my opinion on what I think should be changed in the game of golf. Let your players and the people that actually pay your dues and the people that make your jobs possible, let us decide some things. I think that's a great way to, to go about it and would actually probably change a lot of the way that golf's being played right now. Mm. And you, you know what I don't get about that? The USGA, you know, they have the United States Open, right? Hmm. was it two or three years ago you know they they want to make it the hardest tests in golf and what do they do they alter the course they hmm. they speed the greens up they grow the rough ridiculous they 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 shorten the, or they tighten the fairways they make it a challenge they make these players want to think they go out and do that players complain Oh, this is too hard. This isn't golf. This mm-hmm. is ridiculous. Because they want to see, you know, they don't say it, but we all know they want to see who who can win at level par. Mm-hmm. They go out, they make these changes, they make the course very difficult. Players struggle. Some strive. Brooks did it, one. 
no big deal. He's like, whatever. I, I, I adapted, <laughs> I adapted to, you know, what was handed in front of me rather than complain. Wins goes out following year. They lighten up a little bit mm. and people are blowing their course out of the water. Yeah. They're going low. So what's that? What's that say? Well, here's the thing too. And I think when they make courses like that, that are so deathly hard and deathly long, you want to talk about like, I mean, this might be the only point where I see distance being a detrimental part. And it's not from a technological side of things. It's from them legitimately just making the courses too damn long. You take half Mm. the field, you take half a set of players out of the field because you've got guys that are still hitting at 270, 275. They're some of the best ball strikers in the world don't have a chance that week. Mm. I guarantee you, you lose 500 yards off a golf course. Those guys now have a chance and you're not going to get those bombers shooting 20 some under par. If you set Mm. up the course just as tight and rough as long as you would have on a 7,500 yard course. So I think Mm -hmm. the detrimental part is actually the USGA and some of these governing bodies, the way they set up the course in the first place, like we talked about earlier, it's just crazy. Mm. And you know, Isaiah, to kind of get back to what you were saying a little bit of the game being kind of two different, spectrums from you know professional golf to amateur golf Matt Janella tweeted out a really neat fact today which I thought was just special in light of kind of this conversation he said you know believe it or not 96.2 percent of golf being played is not at any professional level hmm. the vast majority is your regular weekend guys amateur golf co- collegiate golf uh, just everybody that you don't see yeah. playing on the PGA Tour. So uh, to keep drawing in revenue, to keep building those purses to $1.3 million or $1.5, whatever it is, or uh, just to draw in these crowds, to bring in the, the infrastructure and to boost the economy in these areas, to build these cities almost overnight, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I think you've got to take into consideration more of what the regular golfer wants to see. And also at the same time, don't be trying to take out your – you know, obsession with keeping things true to the roots of the game. Don't take out that obsession on the pros at the same time. It's just, there hasn't been enough communication between the general public and with the players themselves. And I think more people would rather go to the waste management open than go see a PGA tour event down in Florida or Missouri or wherever, you know, I Mm -hmm. I think it, it's gotta be more of a, a stadium sport. It is. But people and, get a little rowdy. And see like bombs, we talked about. make long putts. Oh, Phil Mickelson, I, I want to see that man continue to hit bombs for as long as he possibly can. That is, mm. that is what's best for the game. And it, we'll get back into a little bit of the way PGA Tour reacted to this. They said the PGA Tour will continue with the USGA and the RNA to monitor these trends. But as we see the game today, it is more exciting than ever for our fans and the integrity of the game and the competitors remain intact. As we continue to see diverse sets of winners on the PGA tour year in and year out. So our examination of the data reveals that skills involved with a PGA tour event remains largely unchanged and continues to be skills from T to green and not just distance. Hmm. I agree. The, the PGA tour is not going anywhere and neither is distance because they're not going to, you know, be held back by, by these findings by the USGA. I mean, we've, we've said it before golf. And in my opinion, I think it's in one of the best places it can be right now. So many people are getting golf. You're becoming very, 
it's becoming very innovative. You're finding other ways for people to get into the game, whether or not they're actually going out for a nine hole uh, round or 18 holes or actually playing on, on, you know, actual grass golf course. I mean, you got simulator golf, you got top golf, you name it. There are so many people that are getting into the game of golf and you're going to, and the golf's hard enough as it is. It's very difficult. <laughs> I, every time I play, I want to quit one way uh, at one point during the round. I want to quit. Dalton can attest for that. one. I was going to say, you know, not to <laughs> but, just jump on the bandwagon of you wanting to quit, but like it's, largely dubbed one of the toughest sports to pick up and to get good at so why in a million years are we just going to say you know what technology's come a long way and it's making it really easy for people to pick it up and all of a sudden when we're finally getting to that point where people are picking it up and it's easier to pick up now than ever we're just going to say yeah dial it back i don't like it like that just doesn't do well for a global game. If you want this game to continue to reach, we, we literally for the first time in 80 some years, just saw golf in the Olympics the last time around. And we're about to see it come up again in 2020. Mm. Yeah. Why would we want to stop that momentum? Mm. That and the impact just... is going to have one um, on club fitters, club manufacturers. <laughs> when people go to the store, and they're looking to get a new driver because they say, I'm, I'm playing something from back in the 50s or the 60s. They just came out with the steel heads. If I hit this thing good, I might get 245 out of it. I want to get fit for something that's going to really help me to take my game to a different level mm -hmm. by using distance. So they go. They get a proper shaft. They get the right grip. They get the proper head weight. Everything's dialed in for them, and boom, they pick up 40 yards, and they're stoked about it. And each and every year – that technology gets a little bit more fine-tuned and it draws people into the stores to go get fit for those clubs, to go hit the latest and greatest because there are mighty changes made each and every year and even every month with, you know, the R&D and, and marketing mm -hmm. teams. So why would we want to even toss that out the window? There's so many people that work at building clubs. There's tour fitters, there's, you know, fitters at your local Edwin Watts or Second Swing, what have you. You know, there, that's an, a whole different part of the industry in and of itself. So why would we want to put a nerf on all these clubs and people say, okay, well, you know, no matter how hard I hit this, it's only going to stop at 240. That sucks. You know, I want to be able to hit it 260 through lessons and working out and getting that new technology in my hands. I mean, it is. And, and, and Dante, I, I would love for you to share with us the number that you came to find in your little, you know, 10 minute calculations of, of how many people out there truly hit it far enough to consider it maybe a distance problem versus the masses, you know, uh, that number that you gave to us a little bit earlier before we came on the podcast is truly mind numbingly small when it comes to how many people hit the ball far enough to consider what the USGA considers a distance problem. Dante, share that number with us. Okay, so here are the facts, and here's what I researched. I just did a couple Google searches. This, I pulled up uh, who's averaging at over 300 yards, and the report I pulled up was basically current as a 2020 season. Out of the, out of the tour players out there, there are 85 players currently that average 300 or more yards off the tee. And some of these guys have 30 events, some of them have 11 events. So, that, I mean, that's such a small number out of just tour <laughs> players alone that are averaging 300-plus yards. I did another Google search. 
about how many people in the world actually play golf. Actual 18-hole round golf. This isn't even sim golf or anything that's non, I guess you can say golf related. 24.2 million people out there play the game of golf. So if you were to take just those two numbers, you are getting a percentage of 0.000000351. Basically 0%. You're going to tell me you want to change the ball for 0%? Get out of here. It's, in, it's incredible. It's seriously incredible. And, you know, to kind of add on that, uh, TrackMan also released a kind of stat that they've seen. So every, every TrackMan that's used uploads into the TrackMan cloud. So TrackMan is constantly being added to as far as stats, whether it's your local club fitter, you know, your second swings that have all your TrackMan information. And I thought it was a pretty neat little chart in which, you know, I'll put in the bottom right-hand corner on our YouTube view- viewers to kind of check out but it shows your average club speed for your male golfer. And it kind of arcs right about 91 to 95 is like your top 22%. And then above 95 from 101 to 105, it's got 15%. From 106 to 110 is 6%. And 111 to plus is at 0%. Doesn't even register. And it kind of just makes the, the little facts that we just checked even truer that there is basically non-registering amounts of people in the golf game right now that have a club speed even fast enough to make distance a problem. And even if you throw um, long drivers in there, it still doesn't bump the figure up. It's still a negligible (laughs) percentage. Yeah, because let's be honest. What is it, 20-some guys that are on that long drive, like tour, maybe maybe a little more than that? I mean – swap some in and out every now and then, but average of 20 guys. I mean, we, we, Dante, we talked to the Jesus of golf when we were down in, uh, down in Orlando mm. and he's been talking to us kind of before even this, you know, process came out about distance and, and how fun it is to watch the ball, you know, travel this far, not only in their long drive events, but on tour events and, you know, the mini tours. And it's that the other thing, like it's going at a, it's going at a perfect distance right now. And like, even if we add maybe 20 yards over the next, what, 20 years, because I'm, I'm looking at a, I'm looking at a stat, I'm looking at a stat line from the PGA tour from 2000 and yeah, 2000. I'm looking at it from 2000. Guess who was your long drive leader in 2000? Woods. It was John Daly followed Ah. closely by (laughs) Tiger Woods. John Daly was the only person over 300 yards in the year 2000. So, so check this out. So you can even go on TrackMan, right? Like going back to the data, they have I forget what year this is, but it's pretty pretty relevant and pretty new. They have PGA Tour averages. Mm. Driver carry distance is two seventy five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What Jack? What Jack and Arnie averaged about two seventy back in their day? So let's play devil's advocate for a second. Let's say they do draw the technology back and they do draw the ball back. These guys are still going to find out how to hit the ball over 300 yards. Brooks Kepka is not swinging anything that's not going to make a ball go less than 295. Hmm. He is a beast. I mean, that's just like, even if you do draw this back, what's it going to help? 
I don't see this helping the game in any way, shape, or form. And it's going to hurt everyone. It's going to hurt absolutely everybody. Because the guys on tour that were already not averaging, you know, 300 yards, they're about to lose 20 or 30 yards. So the courses get even harder for them, and those long hitters still have the advantage. So what are you going to do? Nerf the clubs of that less than 1% that are able to hit it much further than you because it's not fair for the rest of them? When did the USGA become so liberal? I don't understand. (laughs) And, <laughs> it's just, it's a shame, but it's like a show of our times, man. It's just like, it, it seems like, and, and I don't think that this is happening, but it, it almost seems like, you know, the lower folks on the tour who can't hit it that far are just complaining or, you know, behind the scenes bitching even to the governing bodies <laughs> saying that like, Hey, I can't hit it this far. Do something about it. And it's like, get better. I don't know what else to say, but just get better. I mean, I Do understand better. that. Get yeah, faster. I don't understand how, like, I understand the golf game used to not have everyone in the gym, and now it does. But, all right, if you want to be a professional athlete, you got to work a little. And it seems like hmm. there's a lot of guys that just got stuck in the, oh, I'm going to go play golf like the 80s and 90s, like my dad did. You know, I mean, it just, you it's just not the same game. You can't just roll out of a car anymore and chug a beer almost as like badass as that is and walk to the first <laughs> tee and then just rip one right down the middle and expect to win. Yeah. It's almost like, it's almost, it's almost like the Mamba mentality. <laughs> you got to practice harder than when you actually play in the game. Mm. Yep. You I mean, look at scenarios that put you in the most immense pressure possible so that when you walk in between those ropes in the stadium atmosphere i mean you you look at guys that every guy that i heard in an interview this past week from the waste management said that they are a better player now because of all four days that they got to experience walking in that you know stadium that is the 16th i mean Mm. when you put yourself in positions like that you get better and I, and I think there's a lot of people there's a lot of people in the game that even talk openly about shying away from even wanting to play in the waste management because of the atmosphere. And I think mm. the stigma of old man golf strikes again when people talk about that because yes, the waste management doesn't need to happen every week. It doesn't need to be a slop sloppy drunk fest every week. I even agree with that'll that. That'll just that'll just take away from the waste management management of what it exactly. is. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But do I think the game of golf as a whole can learn from what the waste management's capitalizing on. Hell yeah. You know, I think there's, I think there's a lot of room for improvement and as there always will be within any sport, but especially golf right now to modernize itself and to bring it into the 21st century. Like we all wish it would from a governing body standpoint and just the USGA and RNA continue to say, ah, well, did Tom Morris do this back in Scotland in 1755? Well, if not, we should probably change the rules. That's not going to help anybody in today's day and age. Mm. You know, just literally just have to get better. And, and, and one way to get better is off the course. Mm. I mean, Logan, and I talk about it all the time. You know, we're, we're, we're talking about other, you know, different types of people to look at for flexibility things and looking at different exercises to do to where are they going to focus? They're going to focus in the muscles that 
are within the swing, the ones that activate the swings. So we're going to look at our glutes. We're going to look at our legs. We're going to look at the force we're putting into the ground. We're going to look at her. We're going to look at her back. We're going to look mm. at her spine. We're going to look at her core. Those are the things. It's not the meathead gym to go in and just, you know, I want bigger biceps and bigger pecs. Mm. We're going to go focus in on what's needed to get ourselves in a better position. Yeah. I, so yeah, so let's, let's, let's change, let's change the conversation maybe a little bit onto the course side of things. Cause I think that's one thing we touched on a little bit, but I'd love to get back into, because I'm looking here, I'm, I'm kind of just reading through to make sure we didn't skip any topic that maybe, you know, Hey, the USGA made a good point or something like that. But let's get into one of the statements they made is the USGA found that many amateur players are, are playing from a set of tees that are far too long from them. Mm. And they said, which averages at a, at a point of 5,300 to 6,200 yards. And they're considering that still too long for amateur golfers. So if, if they're considering 52 to 6,300 too long for amateur golfers, why do they all of a sudden think that you know, 7,500 is the acceptable amount for these professional golfers. And I guess where I'd like to see maybe our conversation go is let's talk about, you know, the short courses in the USGA's past and how they've really held up actually better than like your longer Chambers Bay or your, uh, let's say, Beth Page. Um, I don't even know. Pebble Beach is kind of on the shorter end of things, but let's let's get into that a little bit. Maybe like some USGA uh, opens that have actually held their ground better than some of the longer courses out there. And I think being Pennsylvania boys, let's start with Marion. Let's talk a little bit about Marion and how well well that short course held up. It's a link style, right? So not many trees out there, a lot more bunkers. There's some fescue and the green complexes are as challenging as you'll find anywhere. And typically – from the the events that we've seen played there um you'd see the green complexes also being firm for the week rarely for a u.s open type venue are you seeing soft greens as kind of the the exact opposite of what they want and regardless of the length of the course that you're going to see in a u.s open or a major type setting i can almost guarantee you at every one of them the greens will be firm the rough will be long the bunkers are going to be in positions where they will get you and there's a premium placed on hitting fairways because let's face it, scoring is not going to get done from the rough. And even in my experience playing in, you know, the U S open sectional three times, I've come to understand that when you get to that venue, they set it up like the U S open and it doesn't matter how far you hit it off the tee. Billy Hurley hits it 270. At the time I played with him, I was flying at 320. <laughs> he beat me by six strokes because he just flat out knew how to get the ball around the course. He's hitting the right spots in the fairways He's hitting it close with his wedges. He's scoring from that 150 and in number almost every time. There's an art to it. It's not about the distance. It's not about how long the course is. It's about how well you use the skill set that you have. Yeah, and I mean, just going back to who won that uh, Marion Open, that USGA Open at Marion, plus one, Justin Rose. Mm-hmm. Now I'm looking back at some of the longer courses kind of directly around that year. Chambers Bay, five under won it. Oakmont, kind of a mid-range course, so not, you know, your typical really long tipped out course, but four under one at there. The next year, Aaron Hills, they tried to tip that place out at like, I think, 73, 50, 74, 16 under. Brooks Kepka won that event. So, I mean, it seems, it almost seems like the longer they're making these courses, the more freer these bombers are with their drivers mm-hmm. and, and the more they're actually getting, you know, 
I don't know if it's abused, but these courses are getting taken advantage of from a bomber mm-hmm. standpoint. So I, I think I think the tighter, shorter you make a competition course, the more you take driver out of these guys' hands and the more you make them say, all right, well, I could really be in some trouble if I'm not hitting driver or like Isaiah, like you said, uh, with your experience in, in uh, course in Pennsylvania at Waynesboro, if the properly placed hazards are in the right spots, you penalize these guys for hitting drivers in the wrong places and i think mm-hmm. another place that's going to be really interesting to see how they set it up this year is winged foot traditionally yeah. they tip that place out and make the rough extremely long so i'm i'm almost curious as to see all right well will you have it like a typical u.s open or will your distance you know uh findings in the early 2020 change the way they set up that course this year mm. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be interested to see. I mean, we even, even on an amateur uh, side, Dalton, we discussed it when we were down in Florida playing uh, those first two courses, Winter Park and even Dubs Dread. You know, they were shorter courses, and there was times where you really had to think if you wanted to play well, what, <laughs> what shot or what club and what shot do we want to hit? And sometimes it penalized if you went to go long and some it penalized if you decided to play it, I guess you can say on the safer side of things. And it, you know, I account on two times where one Dalton pulled driver and bombed it and went in the water. I, you know, decided to pull a shorter club and laid up and I also hurt myself too. So it, it, it just goes, I think when you, like you're saying, don't, if you take the courses that are longer, you're actually taking the thought process out of the game. Yeah. I think the, when you can set up there and tell a guy who hits it or flies at 295, swing as hard as you can. You know, if you get it out past everything, who cares where you miss it? You can play it that's not a good spot to be in as a, as a golf course and as an event that you're trying to challenge the best golfers in the world. Hmm. So I, I think, I, you know, end all be all, I don't think we have a distance problem. I think we have a course setup problem. Um, and, and I'd like to see, and I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, but I'd like to see movements being made to, you know, make courses tougher. Um, it's a shame, but it seems like for every one course that's opening 11's, like closing because they, they just overbuilt in the early two thousands. Um, so, but I'd like to see if any courses are redesigning or, you know, renovating, I'd like to see more thought being put into where bunkers are, where hazards are, um, how tight fairways are. I think mowing these insanely wide open fairways that just run for ages are um, kind of, putting less of a premium on driving the ball accurately rather than, you know, I mean, guys can just bomb it and not be too worried about accuracy. So um, yeah, I think there's a lot from the uh, agronomy side of things that, you know, course design course, keep up and then stuff like that that can be approved. And I think is where the USGA should really focus um, some of their, some of their efforts rather than telling the 96.2% that we're going to roll it back and you're going to have to deal with it. The layouts are just, they're just outdated is what it comes down to. I mean, not, I would say 99% of the courses that you would see in the regular rotation have their bunker setups somewhere in the neighborhood of 270 is a max. And that's mm-hmm. right around the distance that the guys 
back on the PGA Tour in the early 2000s, that's roughly how far they were flying the ball, right in that 270 range today. <laughs> they can fly at 290 or 300. And for those players that can do that, it's bomb and gouge. So really, I think all they've got to do with a lot of courses to bring them back into the rotation is just start adding bunkers in that yeah. 270 to 315 range and make sure that they're in positions where if a player is going to get up there and bomb it, they have to swing out of their shoes. And we know most guys on tour don't swing out of their shoes because they don't control it as well. Yep. So force players to think. And, and yeah. it's funny too, because it's not a money problem when it comes to these PGA tour courses. If they want to put in more bunkering or more hazards, they can at the flick of a wrist, it seems like. So, I mean, it just, it takes a little bit of thought and a little bit of maybe convincing some members that are maybe a little sacred or tied into their course layout or whatever. Um, and I think, you know, speaking of sacred course layouts, you're even starting to see the masters kind of debate how they're looking at their course layout there. There's been rumors and some ground construction being made that, you know, amen corner, the, the T box on 13 is being lengthened um, way back in the, in the trees to, to make that, you know, that, Dry, well, right now, hell, it's 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 longer than um, it's longer than eleven, I think. If and mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but the the par five is longer than eleven. So, or I mean, shorter than eleven. Eleven, the par four is longer than the uh, par three thirteenth. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. it's just crazy to see even some of the most sacred grounds being uh, having to move. But I think it's necessary. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, we don't play the same game that football plays where you have constraints and you're on a, you know, hundred yard field or soccer with their field constraints. We don't play the same game. It's not in the same realm. You know, it, we play a game where you traverse over, you know, God's land and, and there's different obstacles along the way. So I think we play a game that is more malleable when it comes to course design. And I think, you know, it would be interesting. I think people were just really steadfast on some of their sacred course designs and not willing to change. And I think it just goes back to a little bit of old man golf holding, holding on to, uh, you know, decades past. It's time to let go. It's time to adapt and just, you know, face reality. Things are changing. There's a lot of issues out there, not just in the golf world, just in just society in general, that a lot of people just do not want to accept change. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on, it, it, it's going to happen. Technology is advancing day by day, <laughs> just let alone. I mean, we like just I'll turn around. There's a new update and there's something new I got to do with technology. I mean, within hours. Yeah. So, you know, the golf's changing and I think we need to change the infrastructure of the courses. Yeah, I think we'll, and golf commentary, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. What's the famous saying? Adapt or get left behind. Yeah. yeah, you know, mm -hmm. I, I think uh, I think there's true words couldn't be said when looking at this, looking at the way the USGA and the RNA have a, approached this quote-unquote problem. Um, they're they're putting themselves in a very tough place with a game that doesn't want to adapt the way they see the USGA and the RNA moving. And, you know, whether it's guys on tour or the 96%, like, you know, most of us amateur golfers, we're playing music 
in our, you know, on our bags now. The, the top 10 blogs are all about what best speaker to put on your carry bag when you're walking around. You know, the Pinehurst is adding uh, the cradle where they play music from speakers like in the rocks, you know, 24-7. And it, golf is becoming so much more of a social, you're seeing top golf where there's drinks, bar food, etc live music, concerts. whatever, concerts, mm-hmm. exactly. Golf is moving in such a cool, dare I say hip, because I hate that word, but hip, like move, <laughs> hip fashion. And golf, golf is becoming cool, and golf is getting to a point in time where we almost need to say, listen, the rules of golf need to adapt to the way it's being played and the way people want to play it. Now, I'm not saying, all right, let's just make the rules, you know, whatever we want to be because – that we think it's cool if you can use your foot wedge behind a tree. Like that's not what I'm saying. There's still integrity to be had in the game and the game can always find itself back to its roots, but come on, let's start having some fun and making, making golf cool for the masses. It's more the fact that the game's coming back to, and, and correct me when I'm wrong from, you know, my understanding of golf and when it was invented, it was, and even when you, even from other podcasts that I've listened to, when they go over the pond, it's, it's mainly played by a lot of blue collar workers comes to the States. It becomes this ritzy upper class, you know, social experience, you know, Ooh, I'm, you know, I'm this member at the so-and-so club. Now it's coming back like, oh, I'm joining this club because the group of guys are all like me and we have a great time, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's what it's moving into. And and that's how it's growing. And I'm even seeing it on my side of things from a lot of um, a lot of public courses around here that you don't have to be a member at. They fill up tea time Saturday morning quicker than some of the private clubs. So, I mean, golf is becoming a sport. And I think the direction it needs to go, it needs to go this way. It needs to be the public accessible kind of sport it, it it needs to be as accessible as going to your local soccer field and picking up a game of soccer or going to your local basketball court at the y and picking up a pickup game of you know five on five you know dante when we played down at winter park with Machinella, i thought it was the true like the truest form of the way golf needs to be built or can be built within the future. We played in a tensum, picked up after birdie, you know, like it was so chill, relaxed, laid back. We were shooting the shit with everybody. And like, that's the way golf can be moving. But you know, everyone's talking about, Oh man, bet you can't get it there. You know? And some of the long drives were hitting. And it's like, you start taking the fun out of the game by regulating, you know, the overarching rules like the USGA and the RNA want to, you start messing with like some of this dichotomy of, of golf being a social aspect, I believe. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's a lot of fun, especially when going back to, you know, the skins game. What's cool about it is you're, we were meeting people from all over the place. I know we said this before, but at the same time we were playing a game, we were, we were actually still competing you know, I wanted, I wanted to win some money. I wanted to go home and get this trip paid for plus, plus some. But at the same time, I was, it was a blast. We were having fun. We were shooting this shit. You know, people were just, you know, BSing all, the entire time and just, just having fun, hearing stories. And, 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 that's what it, and that's what it's about. I mean, you can still out, go have fun, have a couple drinks. But at the same time, you can play, play a regulated, you know, game. And, and you know still govern your yourself over certain rule aspects mm. i mean that uh, that that's isn't that what it's intended for 
And I mean, that's the, think, uh, the self-governing golfer or the self-governing game is I think what so many people love about it. And it begs the question, which I've been waiting to ask this entire conversation. Do we even need the USGA? Do we need the RNA? No. They can pound sand. I don't think get out of here. I really, I really don't think we do. I think, and and here's where I'd like to see. Logue's maybe thinking the over there. Logue's, Logue's <laughs> thinking because he's chasing down the professional the, the <laughs> yeah. professional game, and I get where he's coming from with a little hesitation. And mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to put him on the spot if he doesn't have to, but I'll put myself on the spot. I don't think we need it because. I think there is enough masses, 96.2% of people that play the game out there that can go out and govern themselves. And if the USGA wasn't there tomorrow, put tournaments together that people would actually enjoy way more than USGA local qualifiers and US Opens. I mean, would it be the spectacle and the historical you know, resemblance of a US Open? Probably not for the next 25 years until it built its own history. You know, there's obviously something to be said about the USGA being around as long as it has and building the, you know, building the history with the Jack Nicholas's and the Arnold Palmer's and the, the Tiger Woods is winning their championship. It's a coveted championship. I'm not taking that away from them. But all I'm saying is if they weren't there to govern the rules of golf, we would find a way to associate ourselves with a, game full of integrity and a game full of class in its own i agree with that the reason i was thinking is because i've played several um mini tour events particularly uh, the g pro tour which is a fantastic um development professional tour run by gary hall um him and his family and a couple of interns they do a fantastic job of running that tour and of course all play is governed by usga rules mm-hmm. but the usga is not present at any of those events and i think that's what we see with you know amateur golf and you know certain aspects of professional golf i think the usga as a governing body is detached from the rules that they're making they want to create rules and have the authority to create them and maintain their status but there may not necessarily be in it for the best interest of the people that play the game I think it's it's almost evident too. I've seen it sometimes, you know, not really with myself, but with other playing partners. When you get into local qualifying events and you start to see these USGA officials come into town for these qualifiers, and especially at the sectional level, you know, they they, they make rulings, and one person that's affiliated with the USGA can't seem to make a ruling. They got to call five other people in, and then it's mm. a ten minute conversation because no one really knows the true aspect of the rules, and it's like. It, it begs the question how much their own employees even know the rules at some points. And, and, you know, do you really know the impl- implications of making these rule changes and, and how they're truly going to affect someone's round of golf or tournament play? Right. I feel like there's the most beautiful aspect of the game to me, at least is the fact that golf is a game of integrity and it's a game of honesty and, the people that play it are typically those that have what you would describe as good character, or at least, you know, a a certain degree of morality or integrity. And a lot of guys that I know 
that play for a living know more about the rules than even say the rules officials themselves. And we've seen arguments happen back and forth between players that have disagreed with the USGA and the USGA has been wrong and have had to apologize to players and say, I'm sorry, you were right. You actually knew. So whether or not we have the USGA, the players are going to govern the game by themselves. We're going to call each other out. We're going to hold each other accountable. But at the same time, when do the rules of golf take the game aspect out of the game of golf? You're saying which particular rules in general? No, I'm just saying as a society or with these rule changes, are we forgetting that golf is a game? a game that's meant to be played and enjoyed, are we going to go play rules and make it less fun for people to play the game? The game is supposed to be fun. You're supposed to enjoy it. So you're saying just throw out the rules and just go out and have just a good time. On a I mean, golf you course. can do that on the weekend I mean, for sure. A lot of people <laughs> do that already. Yeah. I mean, even, even on like public scorecards, it says governed by the USGA, mm. you know, local rules, rules and govern yeah. local rules, local rules and pride. And, and, and that's what it even goes back to that too. And, and kind of, I don't know if I'm switching subjects or whatnot, but it almost seems that the USGA is trying to find a way to control the professional game, but yet they're affecting hundred percent of golfers but the average weekend golfer does not want to play a different game and different rule set than what the pros are playing that's the allure of the game and why it makes these professionals hitting the ball so dang far and so controlled sells tickets is because we can literally go out it's what golf like there's people can't go out there and get behind a huddle and take a take a handoff from you know tom brady or catch a pass from aaron Rodgers, but they can go out there and tee up a ball and play it just like the pros can not on the same courses granted but they can play the same game governed by the same rules so that's the specialty that golf has over a lot of different sports and that's where that 96.2 percent comes in is they legitimately feel like they're playing the same game as the pros because they are yeah, and that's where, and that's probably the biggest issue is where you, if say you do something so crazy or whatever they want to do with this, this rule changes, ball changes, some type of distance control. It's going the you and I, and the weekend warriors are going to want to play exactly how the pros are playing because that's how it's always been. Yep. So, in my point that's in my point as well that's what hurts the most i agree I, i'm 100 yeah. percent in a, in accordance with you there it's just uh the when the usga makes these like I, I feel like absurd kind of statements they don't really realize their implications god i struggle with that word tonight uh <laughs> their implications <laughs> when when they make statements like this because they just don't truly see the full aspect of what they're what they're adjusting or what they're you know governing they don't see the full aspect they're not out there on at every local course seeing you know 
the the boys you know play 36 holes in one day or they're not seeing your buddy's golf trip they're only seeing that one percent so they 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 believe that's all they're affecting and i feel like they're out of touch and it goes back to i think it just goes back perfectly the way phil mickelson put it there needs to be player input there needs to be players on this committee past and present that see the game from inside the ropes and are making you know decisions that not only affect themselves but understand that they came up from an amateur golf to the professional ranks and can understand the implications of how these rules truly affect the game so guys i think we uh we've fully went in on the usga uh this evening and i'm i'm really happy about it i really am i think uh (laughs) I, i seriously think this statement was just an absolute absurd publication a media grab to get attention back on the usga and get everybody talking for 2020 i think just from a perspective of absolute disconnection between the game and the governing bodies um i i don't think they understand at all what truly sells tickets and what's what makes this game cool and attractive in 2020 and beyond um i think they're completely out of touch and i'd like to see things change whether it's you know on on their side of things on the media covered side of things i'm happy the only part i'm happy about is seeing the pga completely not complying at all with what their statements say and basically saying that hey we love the long ball in the professional golfers association it's here to stay so I did. That's the only thing I like about this entire conversation from the USGA is that the PGA mm-hmm. is having none of it. And the PGA should take over. Professional Golf Association ought to step in and become the official governing body of the PGA. They can create their own rules, keep what they like, toss out what they don't, and you know, the USGA can get on board or get it off yeah. the boat power move right there yeah i I, I would love i would love 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 yeah how, to see how a are PGA, they not governing their <laughs> a PGA governing their own <laughs> yeah no, i agree how are, they not, how are they that not PGA, governing their own organization <laughs> i mean i'd hate to put the pga on the spot three weeks after we just got credentialed media passes to the PGA show, but Hey PGA, we're putting you on the spot. Uh, that sounds like an awesome idea. Create your own dang rule book, take over the USGA. We think you're a lot more in touch with the game than the USGA and the RNA. Um, and we'd love to see you guys take over. So speaking of the PGA guys, it's uh, it's AT&T Pebble beach pro-am week. Mm. What, do you guys, what do you guys think about the Pro-Am week and, and some fun that always goes on uh, during that week uh, over at Pebble Beach? I'd like to play. Yeah, I would too. Shoot, that'd be a fun event. That'd be sick. So what, they play they – <laughs> play. I'd just like so to play the fun. course. Come on. They play Pebble Beach and Spyglass Hills over mm. the four-day period, correct? I think they play two yeah. rounds at each. Mm-hmm. So – now you guys may hate me, but I'm just take I'm I'm getting back at y'all for your your little Hawaii you know shenanigans that took on early <laughs> in the year. But uh, I had the fortunate uh, privilege of playing out there uh, after my senior year of college. My my parents took me out there for a graduation gift, and uh, my dad and I got to walk Spyglass and Pebble Beach. Um, when I when I say that uh, it was a beautiful time out there. It was unbelievable. I'm eating Dole Whip right now. 
you know what? I don't, I don't want to talk about your Dole Whip. <laughs> actually, speaking of that, did you see that they're releasing it where you can actually buy it in uh, supermarkets? I yeah. did. I'm, I'm not believing mm-hmm. the hype. It's well, all hype. Uh, yeah. It can't be as good as what y'all had out there in uh, actual Hawaii, right? Well, apparently it's supposed to taste exactly like it. Okay. So, okay. But anyway. Anyway, back to, Pebble Beach. Back, back to the Pebble <laughs> Beach Pro-Am. Something, something that I think would be a pretty, you know, lighthearted way to, to, to f- finish this all off. You see some really fun celebrities out there year in and year out. And it always begs the question, what would your dream celebrity partner be in the Pebble Beach Pro-Am? And then what would Jeez. your dream foursome be to go walk 18 at Pebble Beach? So let's do the, let's do the dream celebrity partner first. Are you guys going to go with someone who you just would love to see and muck it up with? Or would you go with someone, some celebrity that maybe has a little talent that might actually get you that uh, 1.4 million? I'd go with Bill Murray. He's always been a character. He's done great in movies. I mean, Caddyshack. Yeah. If y'all haven't seen Caddyshack, turn us off right now. I won't take offense. Go watch it right now. (laughs) So I go with Bill Murray for that. I'd really love, and granted, he's not alive anymore, but I would have loved to have played out there with a guy like Arnold Palmer. But since he's, you know, not out there now, I'd like to go play with a guy like John Rahm or Justin Thomas. Hmm. I like that. Good pick. I think, uh, I think I'd go on a safer route. If I'm judging your one or two, I would go with JT. I think he'd be a little more fun. I'd be afraid uh, Rom might push me into the water if he gets a little heated and, and I don't hit a good <laughs> shot. You know? Sergio. Afraid, yeah, he, he, loses, he loses top on me a little bit. But I like JT. JT's a good pick. I think Bill Murray would have you cracking up so much you'd, uh, you wouldn't be able to so, swing. <laughs> so I, uh, I pulled up who's playing. Uh-huh. Uh, this week with the pros, um, some notable guys just here, Tony Romo, mm. Matt Ryan, Jake Owen, Kelly Slater, uh, who else on here? Um, Larry Fitzgerald, Peyton Manning, Wayne Gretzky, Aaron Rodgers, Chris Harrison. He's a big golfer, that bachelorette dude. Uh, <laughs> Eli Manning's playing. Um, Larry the Cable Guy, Steve Young, mm. Macklemore. What? Whoa, He's a golfer, right? No I know. Way. I mean, your, your classic, your classic guys like JT, Justin Timberlake, you know, the other JT in the in the pop mm. world. Um, yeah, always, right. Always shows up and, and puts on a good show. He's actually a pretty dang good golfer. Uh, we Steve we razzed him. Playing. We razzed him a little bit. I think uh, what uh, Aaron Rodgers is out there playing this week, right? Yep. So there's there's some pretty good. Uh, Pretty good talent out there, Dante. Who would be your pick, man? A celebrity, celebrity partner out there for the for the for the pro am. So I, to be honest, I'd probably go after just talking about it. Well, one after talking about Hawaii, Kelly Slater would be probably sick to play with. But or my original thing was Tony Romo. Yeah. Okay, I would yeah. I would like to play with him, possibly win, and you know he. Um, I'd like to see him move the ball around the course. Same on TV yeah, I mean, a little bit, but I think I mean, that would—I think that would be pretty pretty sick to uh, be paired up with. Yeah, he's he's had some serious success at the uh, at the amateur and professional level, playing in a couple of exemptions out in the Corn Ferry Tour and, and trying to make the mm-hmm. uh, trying to make the you know the cut and stuff like that. He's been pretty close to the cut line. I don't I don't remember him ever making a cut, 
but uh, to, to hold your own out there and shoot around even par with those guys out on tours, it's pretty substantial for a, a washed up NFL quarterback. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I, um, man, you, you rattled off some really good names and now I'm really having a tough time picking my celebrity. Uh, Logue, Logue took my, uh, my number one with Bill Murray. I just think he would absolutely be a hoot out there. Um, but I'm looking at other names, man. You know, you got, you got Peyton Manning. You got the great one, Wayne Gretzky. You got Ray Romano from Everybody Loves Raymond. He's yeah. a classic. <laughs> Deborah. So, I mean. Yeah. What a classic show there. Goodness. I mean, and then you got, you got other greats like Condoleezza Rice, uh, who's just an absolute powerhouse on the political spectrum. I'm seeing names like, good Lord. I mean, just it's packed. You just, Justin Verlander. Yeah. I wonder if he's bringing Kate Upton. Maybe, oof, that might have to be a that, that's a that's a that, that's a sneaky uh, that's a sneaky pick right there. I'd I'd be partners with him just to walk around with his uh, beautiful and endearing wife. I'm sure she is. Mm. <laughs> but now I think if if I had to go with one, and I don't think I see him in this field this year, which is, surprises me actually. But I'd really have to go with Steph Curry. I think. Yeah. He's not in this oh, event, in, but he, he's he, injured. Is he injured? Yeah, I think I think that's I think he's injured. That's why. I, I know he Warriors plays a lot of that in some corner events too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and has made some noise. So I think you know just from the amount of work he does with you know charity and the just overall amazing individual he seems to be. He's you know he's he's a religious man. He he, he preaches that all the time. And I think I think just a walk around Pebble Beach with Steph Curry, whether we talk about golf, whether we talk about basketball, or hell, even if we talk about his his you know sneakers or whatever the hell we talk about, or his kids or his beautiful daughters, whatever. I think that would be an amazing walk around Pebble Beach would be with Steph Curry. What so, pro would you go with? What pro? Oh yeah. man, John Daly all day long. We we'd sip John <laughs> Daly's and enjoy the beach view all day long out there mm. in some loudmouth pants. No doubt about nice. it. And and I'd have him. Uh, I'd have cart access because obviously, he he's a little banged up, and he'd have a cart, so we'd have the cool <laughs> back. Obviously, I'd be enjoying the walk out there. But yeah, um, way to way to rep the brand out there for sure on that one. <laughs> Good <it>. save. Good <laughs> save. <laughs> but yeah, yo, when he when he played in the PGA and they at, gave him access to the cart, I literally thought he was gonna have like a full fledged cart with the with the cover on it and all. Like so any other course, it was, it was cold out there that week. I was there that week in for the practice rounds, and it was hilarious watching that man ride around the cart all week. And it was like not, it was like kind of cart path only. They made him like go with. It was like modified cart path only. It was like inside the road, but like not on the fairway kind of deal. It was funny to watch. Yo, I'd play with Harold Varner the third, Jumpman, representative of Jumpman, man. He's my height. Love it. Can One for the short it. guys. Yeah, always. All hey, right, guys. Events with that dude. Yeah. I was gonna say I was gonna get on the topic of that real quick. Isaiah, you've you've been in, you've mucked it up around Harold Varner a little bit in the past. Mm-hmm. Amateur, actually, we both have the AM Pub Links down in uh, Maryland. Was it Clustered Spires? Spires. Yeah, he 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 took yeah. that home, I believe. Yeah, several times. Yeah, sort yep. of the preferred location for him there, but I think so. But uh, yeah, quite a few a, spots. 
always a class act with him too. And just an absolute grinder. Like you said, Dante, he's what? Five, eight, five, seven, five, eight, five, somewhere around there. Um, I'm just going to go a little bit shorter. I was giving you some credit. Take it time. Take it time. But, you know, he's that that height, and and he he holds his own out there on tour. So it's it's fun to watch him always grind it out. But let's let's wrap it up here, guys, with our picks for this week for the the Pebble Beach Pro-Am and and kind of uh, moving us out into uh, some, some fun interviews again next week. Who you got, guys? Uh, I'm going to go with who you got. Who do I got? Yeah. Well, so here's some fun stat for you. Okay. Phil Mickelson backdoored a top five in Dubai last week. Well, hmm. Slid that under the radar. Slid it well. A little, little sneaky top five action. Nice. A little back that new, sneaky, sneaky, new, new. That new Arab sponsor or whatever it is that he got over I there. You, I don't know what it's working. I don't know if they, they found the fountain of youth in him over there last week. But, you know, I would go as far as to say he's going to have another good week this week because yep. he won it last year. I'd like to. I I I think Phil goes back to back. I don't think he's done yet, guys. I don't think he's done yet at all. Really? No, I think he's just getting started after. Yeah, Tiger um, in the field this week. No, no. He's you'll not. see him. You'll see him next. He's playing at Riviera. Yep. Oh yeah. Gosh. Well, my last pick was Jordan Speed, and clearly that went well. He plays so. So uh, good. Yeah, I felt bad management. for you. I felt bad for you. Uh, gosh. You know, I might say, is Webb Simpson in the field this week? Um, You might be 0 for 2. He might 0 be for there. 2. Actually, no, he, I don't think he's there either. Hadn't hit it well. Zonder? Oh, yeah. The Zan- I'm going to go with him. I think the Sandman's going to be there. Yeah, he played well, or decently well at – Place management, so I think I'll go with him. I was surprised to see Bubba sneak up the leaderboard because he hasn't been on top of a leaderboard in a minute. No, no, he hasn't. He he's so streaky. He'll have these. He'll have Bubba has these runs where he just like doesn't hit a top fifty, and then all of a sudden, top ten, top ten, top ten, top five in a major, top five in a major, and then he Win like something in Asia <laughs> for another like four months. Bubba's uh, sneaky streaky like that. I'm going to go with the guy who's pretty solid on the West Coast, Brant Snedeker. Sneds. Mm-hmm. That's you a haven't heard one. that name in a minute. <laughs> no, I have not. Woof. Jeez. All right, boys. I like it. I like it a lot. So stay tuned. We'll see who, uh, who gets out there and, and, you know, shows those USGA fools who's the – non-distance detrimental guy this week. I, I hope another short guy wins this week. I honestly, I'm pulling for every short guy that's in the top five for the rest of the year. Just to show Light the... or distance? Yeah, both. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. 
<laughs> no people nice. love when we say that. But <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. No, I the, the shorter distance guys just let's see it happen the rest of the year. I want to see I want to see nothing but like 275 280 average guys just pulling wins out of wherever they're coming from this year. So anyway, that's it for us guys. I hope you enjoyed our talk this week uh you know about the detrimental problem that the USGA thinks the game of golf has and how they are just absolutely 100% completely out of their minds completely wrong um so hope you enjoyed that talk guys please interact with us tell us if you think we're off our rocker tell us if you think we're wrong tell us if you think we're right uh tweet us at underscore enjoy the walk or interact with our posts that we're going to be putting out on instagram at underscore enjoy the walk there as well feel free to message us feel free to dm us feel free to do whatever you feel like with our feel free to interact with us on itunes as well find our podcast rate review and subscribe please and thank you it means a lot um and yeah guys that that'll pretty much wrap us up oh and go check us out online www.enjoythewalk.store shout out to saltwater swag getting us all of our merch go check them out as well at saltwater swag on instagram um yeah guys that wraps us up thanks again for joining us and as always enjoy the walk enjoy the walk Enjoy the walk.